And it's been a fun series. It's been an interesting journey, especially for those of you who've maybe been through all of uh, all the weeks, or at least heard all the weeks, maybe online. And unfortunately, we're going to be ending it today. I know some of you guys might be upset, maybe sad, maybe not. But uh, I'm a little, it's, I think it's been a really fun book. It's a really exciting book. It's full of adventure. It's kind of epic. It's got all these crazy stories and crazy characters. We looked at Deborah. We looked at Gideon, Jephthah, and then we ended now. And we'll end today with Samson. I know there are other characters, and we did look at a few of the more minor characters, but these are the ones that have the most emphasis, the most text about them. And uh, so that's the ones that we spent the most time on, really examining them and their lives. Now, I know some of you might be thinking, wait a minute, the book of Judges isn't over with Samson. I know that. I have read the, the whole story. But um, the Judges do end. There are no more Judges in the book of Judges after Samson. And the rest of the book spirals into this just chaos for the people. And we looked at in the beginning of this series, we looked at how there's this kind of cycle that the Israelites go through. They, they're serving God and then they're not. They kind of slowly start to worship idols. And in the last of the book of Judges, we see them kind of spiral downward into just chaos. It gets really horrific. And uh, I felt in my heart it was a, a good place to end with Samson and not end with the chaos on Easter Sunday. So we're ending with Samson, but um, I encourage you guys to read the, the rest of the book. As always, if you have any questions or want to talk about it, I love talking about the Bible. You're all, always open to meet up with people and talk about that. But basically, just to kind of give you a summary of what the, the point of the last few chapters are, if you do read it and think, what's going on here? Why is these, you know, basically there's a war that breaks out amongst uh, two tribes, or one between most of Israel and one particular tribe, the Benjamites, and it just gets really horrific and, and kind of rough. And basically, this is kind of a leading up to what was really needed for the people. They desperately needed leadership. They desperately needed a guide. And we see these judges kind of coming in and leading, as, I, as we pointed out a few weeks ago, they, none of the judges were over all of Israel. They were kind of in pockets and leading just various tribes and for various times. And so some of the stories even overlap. But they were really in desperate need of unification and leadership. And we don't really see that until the time of the king, which at first is, uh, first is Saul, who's anointed by Samuel. And then, eventually, King David, who's the man after God's own heart. But the whole point of the rest of the book is that uh, they should have been looking directly to God for their guidance, as their ancestors did with Abraham all the way to Moses, and even Joshua, who's right up to leading the people into the promised land before we see the the judges kind of coming in. And they're always led directly by God, and they're in desperate need of doing that again, which we don't see until David. So that's kind of where the book heads, if you have time and are just really excited about reading the rest of the book of Judges. Today, we take our last look at Samson, who is the final judge in the book of the Judges. Before we do, though, I want to take a minute and just pray and give this time over to God.
Father, we thank you as always for your word, which is so sacred, so wonderful, and so just inspiring to our hearts, so applicable to our lives. And we ask you to open our hearts right now, open our minds to hear what you have for us today in your word, what you want to lay into our lives. We ask that you would help us to be teachable, to be sensitive to your spirit that is always alive and active and working to better us and to bring you glory through everything we do. For your name, for your glory. Amen. So, for those of you who weren't here, looking around, a lot of faces that weren't maybe here last week, Sam preached. Uh, He's one of the uh, head pastors here of the church. And he went through the story, this kind of notorious story of Samson and Delilah. And uh, we won't have time to go all the way through it, but uh, just to kind of refresh our memories, basically this is the moment, this is what brought Samson down to his lowest. It's a pretty famous story. Even people who don't know the Bible have heard it. There's several movie adaptations, book adaptations of Samson and Delilah. And Samson here, we looked at last week, was playing with fire. He was flying too close to the sun, if you will. And his sin seems to be increasing and getting more and more intense as he becomes more comfortable with his sins. So we know from a couple of weeks ago, when we first looked at Samson, he's a Nazarite. He's been set apart for God, which meant there was a few things he was supposed to avoid, like anything to do with grapes. We looked at even grape seeds and grape uh, stems and anything to do with grapes was definitely forbidden. Not allowed to touch or be near dead animals. Not allowed to cut his hair were some of the things that he was forbidden to do. And he slowly does all of those things. And it all starts with what he sees with his eyes. He sees a woman and he says to his parents, hey, saw a woman, she looks good to me, go get her for me. Literally, that's from the text. And uh, so he ends up from that moment, and this, this was a, a forbidden love, if you will, because she was one of the enemy of the Israelites. So at the time, the Philistines have invaded uh, the land and they're kind of oppressing the people. And he seems to just fall. They must have had the, the, the better women because that's the only ones that he seems to be attracted to. And from there, we see him break another rule. When he goes to marry her or to meet with her, he kills a lion and then later eats honey out of its dead body, which, again, forbidden as a Nazarite, and just generally a bad idea, I think. And after that, we see him sleeping with prostitutes, and there's several uh, times that he does this. Of course, the most famous one is when he falls, and it seems he falls pretty head over heels in love with Delilah. But in all of these things, that he gave in and in all of his sins, he never cut his hair. He still had the long flowing locks to go with his raging biceps. So that was one thing he was willing to hold on to. He was willing to hold on to not cutting his hair until finally he's seduced by Delilah. And in a moment of weakness, he gives in and he surrenders to her fully. And as he does so, he 
seems to just, even though she, we looked at last week, she several times attempts to get him to do, to tell the secret of his strength and uh, didn't really seem to click that this is not a bad idea. This is not a good woman to be investing time with. But he was so taken by her that he lets her know the secret and while he's sleeping, he has his head shaved. And subsequently, he loses the source of his strength. And Delilah sells Samson out for just some money, a lot of money at the time. But just for some silver, she sells Samson out, betrays him, and gives him over to his enemies. And I want to reread the last few verses that we ended on last week, which was Judges chapter 16, uh, verses 21 through 22. Then the Philistines seized him, gouged out his eyes, and took him down to Gaza. Binding him with bronze shackles, they set him to grinding grain in the prison. But the hair of his head began to grow again after it had, be- after it had been shaved. So he is now just like any other guy. I guess he still looked muscly, but he didn't, wasn't as strong as he looked anymore. He lost the source of his strength because he had, again, played with fire. He slowly but surely went through everything he was forbidden to do until finally he didn't have that strength anymore. And even worse, because now he also doesn't have eyes. They took his eyes in this kind of cruel sense of irony, I feel like, because his eyes are the very thing that led him to this point. I think if he couldn't have seen Delilah, he wouldn't have been so easily seduced by her. So his eyes betray him, and they're the very thing that is removed. All starting back originally when he sees the first Philistine woman who ends up being his wife. And this led to a life where he's driven by this lust. He's driven by this kind of need to follow what he sees and what he wants, even though it leads him to his downfall and leads him right into the hands of his enemy again and again until he reaches this low point in his life. This is where we left Samson off last week, kind of stuck in prison, no eyes, so all hope seems to be lost. But what we're going to look at today in the last moments of Samson is he has what I would call a hoorah moment. It's kind of, that's an that's a American thing that the military use when they, to kind of celebrate this. It's a war cry. And he kind of has this last moment where he cries out and brings everything he has together for one last Moment, And that's what we're going to look at. And even though he's been kind of working in the millstones, he's shackled, doesn't have his eyes, doesn't have his strength. It ends with this kind of intriguing, and then his hair began to grow. Kind of showing a little glimpse of hope. And also we'll see that even his vision seems to be improving in one way. So we're going to read all the way through the story. So in verse, or chapter 16, verses 23 through 31. 
Now the rulers of the Philistines assembled to offer a great sacrifice to Dargon, their God, and to celebrate, saying, Our God has delivered Samson, our enemy, into our hands. When the people saw him, they praised their God, saying, Our God has delivered our enemy into our hands, the one who laid waste our land and multiplied our slain. While they were in high spirits, they shouted, Bring out Samson! To entertain us. So they called Samson out of the prison and he performed for them. When they stood, or yeah, when they stood him among the pillars, Samson said to the servant who held his hand, Put me where I can feel the pillars that support the temple, so that I may lean against them. Now the temple was crowded with men and women, all the rulers of the Philistines were there. And on the roof were about 3,000 men and women watching Samson perform. Verse 28 is the key. Then Samson prayed to the Lord, Sovereign Lord, remember me. Please, God, strengthen me just once more. And let me, with one blow, get revenge on the Philistines for my two eyes. When Samson reached toward the two central pillars on which the temple stood. Bracing himself against them, his right hand on the one and his left on the other, Samson said, let me die with the Philistines. Then he pushed with all his might and down came the temple on the rulers and all the people in it. Thus he killed many more when he died than while he lived. Then his brothers and his father's whole and his father's whole family went down to get him. They brought him back and buried him between Zorah and Estrol in the tomb of Manoah his father. He had led Israel twenty years. Now, as I mentioned, there's something here with vision, because his ironic the, it's ironic that his eyes are removed. And here we see this kind of transformation between where Samson was before when he had his strength and he saw it as his own and now. Before he was blinded by his sight in his lust and his weakness for the beauty of the women that he fell for. But now he ironically sees clearly His eyes have been taken and he's blinded physically, but he has this vision. He now sees where his strength comes from. He knows the source that he had forgotten. Before there was this moment that we can look back where this exact transformation happens. And we won't have time to read it, but as Samson finally gives in and tells Delilah, Uh, One translation I really like says, he revealed his whole heart. He opened up and told her everything so that it was obvious, so that she knew. And even though he had done this and she betrays him and shaves his head, he didn't know that his strength had left him. He didn't know that anything had changed. He thought it was just like the time he ate honey out of the lion's corpse or the time that he slept with 
any of the other prostitutes or the time when he drank wine or ate grapes. He didn't realize that something had changed in him, that the Spirit of God had left him. And so he says, I'll go out like I went out all the other times. I'll go out and fight the Philistines just as I did every other time, not knowing that the Spirit of God had left him. He thought that the power was in him. He thought that he had that strength. He thought that he couldn't lose it. And he was mistaken. But now he sees. He cries out to God. And in verse 28, I'll read the first part again. Then Samson prayed to the Lord, Sovereign Lord, remember me. Please, God, strengthen me just once more. He knew where the strength, where the source was. He knew that he couldn't, you know, pump enough iron to get his strength back. He knew that he couldn't do anything in himself to get that strength back. So he cried out to God, who was always the source of his strength. In himself, he was just some guy. He couldn't have accomplished any of the things that he did. And though in most of his life he was blinded by his eyes through his lust, now he sees clearly where his strength had been coming from. And in Samson's great and and dramatic and epic ending, it's a tragedy we see. It's this kind of, he falls for the woman and she betrays him and it ends in his death in this dramatic scene where he's defeating his enemies but taking his own life with it. There's a familiar tone that I think draws my attention to another story, to an even greater hero, a perfect judge, one that also made an ultimate sacrifice. And if you haven't guessed, I'm referring to Jesus. And because of the time of year that it is, we're coming into this Easter season, I think it's important for us to make this draw towards Christ in looking at Samson's story. There's something really that is really refreshing about it to me, that uh, no matter where I read in the Bible, no matter what I'm looking at in Scripture, there's always a way to find Christ. There's always a way to find this line that directs us to the Savior. Whether it's something that's the opposite of Christ, which remind us, reminds us of the need we have for Christ, or a Christ-like image. And though Samson is definitely not perfect and definitely not anywhere close to comparing with Jesus, he is a Christ-like image. He's one that reminds us of sacrifice and leadership and the perfect judge. And Samson was not a perfect judge, but he reminds us of Christ and we can be pointed to him through his story. Even at the beginning... As Samson is betrayed by Delilah for silver, although in her case it would have been around 5,000 pieces of silver, we see Jesus also betrayed by one whom he trusted, one whom he loved, Judas, for a measly 30 pieces of silver. The Savior of the world, the God 
come to earth to save is betrayed for something as small as 30 silver coins, whereas Samson is betrayed for at least 5,000. Jesus, before Jesus is nailed on the cross, he goes through this horrendous trial where he faces intense adversity and ridicule. And unfortunately, we won't have time to go through all of the story, but if you, I encourage you again to come this week and we'll be going through different uh, elements, and, but we'll be going through Matthew and going through different elements of what Jesus went through in that week. But I want to read from John chapter 19, verses 1 through 3 to start. Then Pilate took Jesus and had him flogged. The soldiers twisted together a crown of thorns and put it on his head. They clothed him in a purple robe and went up to him again and again, saying, Hail, King of the Jews. And they slapped him in the face. Now Samson also was brought before his enemies to entertain them, where he would have been ridiculed, mocked, spit upon. They were gloating. We've beaten you. And where it gets really interesting is they were really saying, our gods are better than your God. Your God gave you strength and took it away. Our gods are the ones who defeated you. And Jesus was beaten and mocked and shamed. Now Samson, in a lot of ways, deserved the position he was in. He made a lot of decisions in order to get to where he was, where Christ was perfect in life and brought with him only freedom and justice and love and grace and peace for us. And for this, they beat him, they shamed him, And they killed him on a cross. The death for the worst of criminals. A shameful death. A humiliating death. Nailed naked to a cross. Nailed naked to a tree. And as Jesus is now hanging on the cross. We'll go through his final moments as we went through Samson's final moments. In John chapter 19, verses 28 through 37. Later, and this is after Jesus is already on the cross. Later, knowing that everything had been finished, and so that scripture would be fulfilled, Jesus said, I am thirsty. A jar of wine vinegar was there, so they soaked a sponge in it, put the sponge on a stalk of hyssop plant and lifted it to Jesus' lips. When he had received the drink, Jesus said, it is finished. With that, he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. Now as Samson stood between the pillars, he bows all his strength. He cries out to God, let me die with them. He, in that moment, wanted to bring down the house, defeat his enemy. And he defeated more them than he ever did in his life. And all the people he killed and all the enemies he defeated together was not equal to those that he did on that day. And 
in a way, he wanted to destroy the enemy and to finish the work of his life. But that enemy wasn't completely destroyed. The Israelites dealt with the Philistines for many, many generations after. But when Jesus said, it is finished, it was finished. All that Jesus had come to accomplish in that moment as he surrendered his spirit was completed. The penalty for sin is always death. We always deserve death for sin. The wages of sin is death without exception. Uh, And that price had to be paid. And when Jesus on that cross, nailed to that cross, said it is finished and gave up his spirit, that was paid for. And I want to be very clear, he gave up his spirit. It was not taken from him. At any moment, he could have stepped down from the cross. At any moment, he could have decided, this, these guys aren't worth it. They're crazy. They're only going to love me sometimes. They're going to make mistakes all the time. They're going to fail all the time. Are they worth it? He could have easily gotten down, but he didn't. He gave up his spirit because he loves us so intensely, so deeply and passionately. And there's, in that moment, I want to read something from Mark because John doesn't uh, quote it. In Mark 15, verse 33 through 34. So in this free will giving of his life, this payment was made for us. And at noon, darkness came over the whole land until three in the afternoon. And at three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out in a loud voice. I'm going to read this only in the English. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He cried out to God, why have you forsaken me? Now we saw Samson in his moment of desperation as he cried out. And he cried out, God, remember me and strengthen me just this once. He did it for mixed reasons, partially for revenge, partially to finish something, partially to defend the people, the Israelites. But he cried out to God because he was just a man and he had not the strength in himself. He needed God. But as Jesus cries this out to God, it's not because God literally has completely abandoned him. It's not because he's completely forsaken by God. Jesus is God. But what happened in this moment is that all the weight of all the sins of humanity rested on him and him alone. And he experienced what sin brings. Because if you didn't know, Jesus lived a perfect life, a sinless life. That's the only way that he could pay for our sins. But in that moment, the weight of the sins of the world rested on his shoulders and he felt what sin brings. He felt shame. He felt the feeling of separation from God. He felt abandonment from God. These are things that sin brings. And in that moment, Christ experienced that. 
he felt alone in that, as we do too when we are overwhelmed or overcome by sin in our lives or when we feel so far away from God. Christ felt that. And he, in feeling that, in feeling that shame and that separation, we don't have to. That's what Christ brought is freedom. And it was freedom that was expensive. And it cost him laying down his life and experiencing all the pain, all the shame, all the separation, all the abandonment that we as the human race would ever have, would ever feel, would ever experience because of sin. He took on the cross, not just the payment of sin just to get us a basic ticket into heaven. He took it all on himself that we can have true freedom in Christ. So Samson is this Christ-like image, but in comparison with Christ, he's so weak. He's so small, so insignificant. Yeah, Samson was strong, and we looked at the last few weeks at some pretty amazing things that he did. But Jesus took on the weight of the sin of the world. And I've had moments where I can barely handle the weight of my own sin. And I have to run to Christ. Christ, I, I repent. Take this from me. I cannot handle it. And that's just my sin. That's just the experiences of my life. I can't imagine even the sins of this room, much less the sins of the world resting on one man's shoulders. So, I want to read through the last moments according to John. So, chapter 19, verses 31 through 37. Now it was the day of preparation, and the next day was to be a special Sabbath. And this was because it was the Passover. Because the Jewish leaders did not want the bodies left on the cross during the Sabbath, they asked Pilate to have the legs broken and the bodies taken down. This was a regular routine during special times because normally the bodies would be left there to rot for days and days and days, long after they had died, to shame them even in death. But in this case, because it was a special thing, a special time, it didn't want the bodies to be sitting there. That's why this would be done. The soldiers, therefore, came and broke the legs of the first man who had been crucified with Jesus and then those of the other. But when they came to Jesus and found that he was already dead... They did not break his legs. Instead, one of the soldiers pierced Jesus' side and uh, with a spear, bringing a sudden flow of blood and water. The man who saw it was given, has given testimony, and his testimony is true. He knows that he tells the truth, and he testifies so that you also may believe. These things happened so that the scripture would be fulfilled. Not one of his bones will be broken. And that's in Psalms 34, if you're interested. And verse 37, and as another scripture says, they will look 
on the one they have pierced. And that's in Zechariah 12, if you are interested. And something interesting with John's letter, the reason I chose John is for two reasons. Uh, One is because uh, next week we're going to continue looking at John's letter and looking at what happens next. And uh, I don't want to give anything away. But we're going to continue going through and looking at the rest of the book of John. But something that's interesting about John that actually is a little bit different from the other Gospels is that he goes through all of these testimonies, quoting scripture, making a point to say this was the fulfillment of something. This actually happened. Jesus died on that cross. He wasn't just wounded. It wasn't just uh, which was important to John at the time because there was rumors going around. Maybe Jesus just, you know, was kind of dead and then somehow, even though he had been pierced and all this stuff, was like walking around healthy, which would have been miraculous in itself. But he says, no, Jesus did die on that cross. And that's important because when he did, he, one, gave it up, gave up his life himself. And two, he did it with all the weight of all of our sins on him. So we can bring our sins, bring our shame, bring our problems, our worries, our doubts, our fears to him because he already paid for them on the cross. Jesus doesn't have to die, you know, for every generation. He doesn't have to die for your sins again. He died once and when he did, it was finished. So, We're going to end relatively earlier than normal. And I want to do something a little different. I want to invite the band uh, to come back up. And I want to leave some space here. And I know that that text, there's a lot more we could unpack. But as I said, on Friday, we're going to be diving into uh, the the death of, of Jesus on the cross according to Matthew. And so I'd encourage you guys to come out to that. But I want to leave space right now for us to just come to him. And I asked the band to play because, I don't know, everybody's different. I'm kind of a person that uh, sometimes silence is the most distracting sound of all. And so I like to have music when I'm trying to meditate or trying to think on something. And I want us to just take a minute and think about the cross. Think about what Christ did on the cross. And there are three things I'd encourage you guys to do in this time. One is if you have a sin that you're dealing with, take this time and repent. That was the whole premise of Jesus' ministry on earth. Repent, repent for the kingdom of heaven is here. So let's bring our sins, bring the things that we are struggling with to Christ. And it's simple. And repenting is literally about, it's confessing because we don't want that anymore. We don't want that to be the center point of our lives. Repenting is about turning and going in a different direction. So we're laying that burden down at Jesus' feet and we're saying, Jesus, I want to go with you. I want to follow you where you lead me, not where this sin is bringing me. As we see with Samson who just goes wherever his eyes tend to bring him to. He follows his desires. We want to follow Christ. So I encourage you to take this time and Lay anything you have down at his feet. And the other thing would be to thank him. If you repent, then thank him for the cross. And if you have nothing to repent for, thank him for the cross. We should be thanking Christ for the cross as often as we can.
And lastly, uh, eventually they're going to go ahead and, and start a song. We're going to just take about two, three minutes and just have a moment where we can kind of go inwardly and just connect with Christ. And then we're going to sing one more song together. But also, if any of you have something you need prayer for, you're saying, hey, I've got something I'm struggling with, I've been struggling with, or maybe you just have a hard week coming up or had a hard week this past week, I want to invite you guys. Me and uh, Rebecca will be over here, and we uh, are happy and just uh, welcome. You, you're welcome to come up, and we'd love to pray with you about anything that you would need prayer for. So let's take a minute and connect with our Savior.